Good singing. Um, just a few more weary days. Who picked that song? Who picked that song? Was it you guys in the back? Isaac, was it you? I don't know. Just a few more weary days. Well, we're coming to the end of our classes today. Can I hear a sigh? And uh, John Michel, you were sounding a little bit like George Beverly Shea there. I don't know if you know. <laughs> had that deep voice. <laughs> no, no, just when he was alive and he was singing. <laughs> well, here we are. Uh, I want you to think about something here as we begin. We're going to be uh, looking at uh, Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at just a couple different passages of Scripture this morning. But I want you to reflect for a moment and I want you to give some thought to the person that you are here at this very moment, sitting in this chapel, last day of classes, I want you to ask yourself, what kind of person? If you were to grab a mirror and I was to give all of you a mirror and you were to look yourself in the mirror and say, what kind of person am I today? As I look back, and, and some of you, if you're a, a senior, that gives you an opportunity to reflect on, on three years. If you're a junior, two. If you're a freshman, obviously one. But are, are you a different person today? than when you began this year? That, that should really be a question that is not simply posed to people that are at Bible school. Every Christian should really at times in their life say, what kind of person am I today at this place in my Christian life? So you need to always remember that you will be a little bit more tomorrow like the person you have been trying to be today. That's a very simple statement, and yet it's very true, isn't it? The person that you are trying to be today, you're going to be a little bit more like that person tomorrow. And on and on and on. And uh, that's why sometimes when when Christians wake up and their life is in shambles and in a mess, and they scratch their head thinking, how did I get to this place? Well, you just woke up the next day a little bit more like the person you were trying to be that day. And on and on and on until you find your place Maybe in despair, discouragement. And I, I, I would hope and like to think that all of you have, have really enjoyed growing, and I, and I trust that you have grown in your relationship with the Lord this year. Because that's really what it's all about. We certainly want you to do well in your exams and all of those things, but the truth of the matter is, it's possible you could come through here with a 4.0 average and not have learned anything. And, uh, and we want you to really... And I, I want you to really reflect upon, upon just a couple of very basic things that I'm not going to tell you anything that is, that is going to be life-altering in the sense that I've never heard that before. But I want to begin in, in Mark chapter 3, and uh, we're going to just bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll look at a few verses here together. Mark chapter 3. So let's, uh, let's pray, first of all, before we look to the Word of God. Father, I want to thank you for... Uh, these students. And Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for the change I've seen in many of their lives and how you have grown them up in the Lord. 
You've commanded us to be rooted and built up, established in the faith. And I I believe that many of these students have have evidenced uh, the fruit of the Spirit. They've evidenced um, in their lives, in the manifestation of their lives, that they have taken your word and allowed it to take, take root in their lives, change them and mold them. And Lord, we, we pray that as we just reflect upon a few things here this morning, that you will help us to just use this as an opportunity to reflect uh, upon this year, upon our lives, upon where you want us to go and, and where you want to lead us. And uh, use your Holy Spirit to teach us, to open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Mark chapter 3, and then we're just going to read a couple of verses here, then I'd like you to jump to Luke chapter 5. Uh, Mike Grant, Mr. Grant was here a couple days ago, and he was in Luke 5 and did a great job uh, looking at that passage. So we're not going to do an exposition of it, but we will be there for a second. But in Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse number 13, here's what it says. And he goeth up into a mountain, and called unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter. We're really going to be focusing on Peter. Not the rest of the twelve disciples, as important as, as those men were, but Peter is a man here, and, and his, his, his name, Simon, it means a hearer. And Peter means a rock. And so, right off the outset, we learned that in order for us to become a rock, we need to be willing to hear the Word of God. We need to be willing to not simply be a hearer, but a doer. And we're going to find the journey of Peter and how he went from being a hearer to a doer of God's Word. So, with that in mind, come to Luke chapter 5. And let's, let's, look, at, um, let's look at I'm in John. Here we go, Luke. In Luke 5, this is the story of Jesus. He comes to to the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. Two ships are standing by the lake, verse 2, and fishermen are gone out of them, washing their nets. We heard this the other day. And obviously, Jesus enters into one of the ships, which was Simon's. And he prayed him, and he, he said, thrust out a little from the land... And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and they filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, before I go any further, here's what I want you to think about. Remember how I just asked you the question, what kind of person are you right now compared to when you began? Because in the classes, we are really giving you an opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. And to learn, learn of Him. And any time you have a genuine encounter with the living God, it always changes 
your perception of who you are. And it always changes your life. And here is Peter, and I want you to notice what Peter does. The Bible says in verse number 8, when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw what? When he saw the workings of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he had so practically manifested himself in Peter's life and demonstrated his power, when he saw it, the Bible says that Peter fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, Peter began to learn something of who he was. And his relationship with Jesus was impacting the way he thought about himself and about his life. And and then we know that because later on, when they come to to the land and they have all these drought of fishes, it says uh, in, in verse number 10, and so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And then it says, Jesus said to Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. We have a choice to make in life. And here's the choice. Are you going to be fishing or are you going to be following? Now you might say, I've never fished in my life. (laughs) So it's not really something I need to worry about. But I think you understand, I'm not really talking about fishing. Because the fishing represents your enterprises. It represents your ambitions, your desires, your security, your plans. And Peter needed to make a decision. And he needed to decide, am I going to be fishing or am I going to be following? And when we look at Peter's life here, let me ask you this question. What is your relationship with God worth to you? What is it worth to you? Is it worth you maybe allowing God to... to take your plans that you have made and say, I've got some plans of my own. Because Peter had to decide fishing or following. What was it that Peter knew best? He knew fishing. You see, fishing had been, uh, when we think about Peter's life, fishing had, had um, had been his security. Fishing had been his His livelihood. Fishing had, had not only been what he knew best, but the Bible says that God had just blessed him. And this is the interesting thing I find. I think when, when Jesus wanted to get Peter to make the commitment, it's interesting that Jesus did not look, make his fishing or his enterprises look like it was this meager thing that he had to give up. Could you imagine if Peter's business was about to flop and it was about to close in and Jesus says, follow me, and he looks back at his enterprises and says, I'm not going anywhere with that anyway. So here's what Jesus does. He says, I'm going to bless his enterprise like he's never seen. So that when he has to make the decision to follow me, he's not just going to be looking at his fishing enterprise saying, I'm not making a go of this anyway. He's going to be able to look at all of those fish. The catch. I mean, it would be equivalent of, of a businessman saying, you know, I had to make the decision to, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but you know what? My business, I was about to claim bankruptcy anyway. So I decided to follow Jesus. Now imagine if Jesus gave that man a million dollars. And he said, now you decide whether you're going to fish or you're going to follow. And Jesus, he, he sweetened the pot. But it appears he sweetened the pot on the wrong side. 
He didn't sweeten the pot, sweeten the pot of following him. He, he, made, he made the decision to turn away from what Peter's enterprise was that much more possibly difficult. Now, if Peter, in that moment of discouragement, if Jesus had come up to him and said, Peter, I want you to follow me, and he says, you know what? I fished all night. I never caught anything. It's a waste of time anyway. Sure, I'll follow you. That's not when, that's not when Jesus asked Peter to follow him. He said, Peter... Let me, let me fill your boats. And then I'm going to ask you the question. Are you going to follow me? Or are you going to fish? And it's interesting. When you have a genuine encounter with God and you feel and sense the call of God upon your life and an and a understanding that your life is to be used at His disposal, then all of those things become incidentals. Because that morning in Luke chapter 5, I would suggest to you that the most important thing on Peter's mind was fish. I mean, if you're a fisherman and you come back and you didn't catch any fish, that's ticking you off a little bit. And I'm sure as he's washing his nets, he's mauling this whole thing over in his mind saying, man, alive, here I am. What kind of embarrassment am I to the fishing community? Can't even catch any fish. Now he has a boatload of fish, which was the most important thing before he came into his encounter with Jesus. And now, guess what? The fish don't even matter. He comes to land, and he doesn't say, well, Jesus, I'll follow you, but man, I've got all these fish now. He leaves it to the other people. And we we need to come to the place in our lives, every single one of you as students, every single Christian, needs to say, am I going to be fishing, or am I going to be following? And the fishing, under the umbrella of the fishing, has to do with a lot of what the world has to offer, the security, the, the doing what you know best, the, the doing what you want to do. And, and, and Jesus had to shatter Peter's plans. And, and he had to bring him to the place where, where following Jesus became the most important priority in his life. Jim Cimbala, who's, who's the preacher at a church in the slums, in New York, told a pretty amazing story. He says this, it was Easter Sunday, and he says, I was tired at the end of the day. He says, I just went to the edge of the platform, I pulled down my tie, I sat down, I draped my feet over the edge. He says, it was a wonderful service, many people had come forward, counselors were at that moment talking to people. He says, I was just exhausted. He says, as I was sitting there, I looked up the middle aisle, and there in about the third row was a man who looked about 50. He was filthy. He looked up at me rather sheepishly as if to say, could I come and talk to you? And he says, we have homeless people coming into our church all of the time asking for money. So as I sat there, I said to myself, he said, though I'm ashamed of it, what a way to end a Sunday. I've had such a good time preaching and ministering, and here's this poor homeless guy, and all he wants is probably money for some wine. So as he sat on the edge of the platform, and this man's looking at him, and and he's admitting he has these thoughts coming through his mind, and so he says, this man walks up to me, and when he got within five feet of me, he said, I smelled the most horrible smell I've ever smelled in my life. It was so awful, he says, that when I got close, I could only inhale by looking away. 
And then I had to look back at him and talk. And then when I had to breathe again, he says, I had to keep looking away. And he, he says, I asked him, what's your name? And the man said, David. I said, how long have you been on the streets? And he says, six years. I said, how old are you? He said, 32. Jim Zimbala says he looked about 50. He said, where did you sleep last night, David? And the man said, an abandoned truck. And he said, with, a, with, with a, a heart that was really almost bitter and just wanted to get out of there, he says, I just reached in my back pocket and I fumbled and I pick, picked out some money and I gave him the money. I reached, reached it out to him. And uh, he says, when I put it in front of him, he put his hand out and he says, no, he says, he says I don't want your money. And Jim Zimbala goes, you don't want my money? And he says, well, what do you want? And he says, well, I want this Jesus. He says, I want the one that you're talking about because he says, I'm not going to make it. He says, I'm going to die in the streets. And he says, what you're telling me is what I need. And here's the interesting thing. Jim Cimbala says, I was sitting there on the platform and he says, I just began to weep. And he says, I was weeping because he said this, I was going to give a couple of dollars to somebody that God sent my way. Think about that. God, God had sent this man to him. And in his moment of carnality, he just reached in his pocket and said, Here, here's a couple dollars. You know, I know what you're going to use it on anyway. Go buy your booze and get out of here. He says, I began to weep. Because he goes, as, as I thought of ministry, he says, how easy it is. He said, I could make the excuse and say I was tired. But he says, there is no excuse. I was not seeing this man the way God sees him. I was not feeling what God feels. But he says, oh, did that change? He said, David stood there. He didn't know what was happening. And I pleaded with God in my own mind. And he said, Jim Cimbala said, I said, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry to have, to have represented you in this way. I'm sorry. Here I am with my message and my points and my counselors. And you sent somebody right up to the front of the church. And I tried to just give them a couple dollars. And he says, something came over him, and he says, I just started weeping more. And, and David, this other man who didn't know what I was going through, he began to weep. And here's what he says. It was interesting. He says, he fell against my chest as I was sitting there. He says, this dirty, smelly man. He fell against my chest, and he says, I had this white shirt and tie on. And he dirtied, obviously dirtied his shirt. He says, I put my arms around him. And there he says, we wept with each other. And here's what he says. He said, the smell of that man became a beautiful aroma. You know, when we serve the Lord, sometimes I think that what we want to do is we want to say, God, and God sends something our way. Maybe he sends a call of God upon our life. Or maybe he sends uh, somebody that he wants us to minister to. And instead of doing what, what, what we ought to do, we, we symbolically kind of do what Jim Cimbala did. We, we want to say, okay, God, what, what do I need to give you here to get, to get you off my back? And the reality is that, that God had sent this man in the midst of a fancy service with lots of people coming forward and probably a great message and three points and maybe a poem to go along with it and just as I am and all the rest of it. And God had sent this man and Jim Cimbala by his own admission said one of the greatest lessons I learned in life came not with a fancy message that I preached but with a homeless man 
that walked down the aisle that I did not take seriously and I almost gave up an opportunity to minister Christ to that man. You see, Jesus was never interested in having fans. When he defines what kind of relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer of Jesus is not an option. My concern is what many of our churches have have gone to from being sanctuaries to stadiums. And every week, all of the fans come to the stadium where they can cheer for Jesus and they can hoopla for Jesus. But there's none of them that have any interest in following Him. The biggest threat to the church today is this. And listen to this. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but are not actually interested in following Jesus. They, They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits but not too close that he requires anything from them. Here's Peter. This opportunity to say, am I going to fish? Or am I going to follow? Every single person, especially a Bible school student, needs to come to that decision. And you you need to say, is my life going to be about my enterprise? Or is it going to be about following Lord Jesus. You can't buy God off with a few dollars. And so let me give you one more thing, because I've only got five minutes left, and then, and then we'll conclude. Um, I want you to... to uh, getting all messed up. Got to get my notes here figured out. Let me give you the second thing, Matthew chapter 16. So I'm just going to read a couple verses here, and then... We're going to bring this all together here in a second. Matthew 16. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse number 13, it says this. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, um, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom do you say that I am? And here, remember we're talking about Simon Peter, the one in Luke 5 that decided whether he was going to fish or follow. Now he decides whether he is going to be influenced or be an influencer. Because here's the idea. Who do other people say that I am? That's the influence. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was Peter that spoke up. And I believe it is one thing for you to quote what others say about God, but it's quite another thing to speak about God from your own experience. It's one thing to read about a great Christian's conviction about God. It's another thing to speak about your own conviction about God. You've learned a lot of things about God. A a, a lot of truths from the Word of God. But you all have to recognize and come to the place in your life, am I going to live my life being being influenced or being an influencer? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, out of conviction, not because he'd been 
taught it, not because the great crowds were saying it. He says, I know who you are. I know who I I believe you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter wasn't going to bow to what other people thought they knew about Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. And he says, I'm, I'm going to be bold in declaring who Jesus is and standing up for him. I'm going to just read a couple of things here that I came across. There was a young man who undoubtedly belonged to the Lord, but in the last, only in the last part of his life he came to, to know Christ. And he, he, came, he came to his death um, recognizing that he had a, a small portion of his life that he lived for Jesus, but he had a great deal of his life that he lived wickedly. And here, here's what this man said. He had great remorse that he had not done much for Christ and had not had an opportunity to do much for Christ. So he said this. His dying request was, Lord, bury my influence with me. Think about that statement. Lord, bury my influence with me. Now, I understand what the man's saying. I have the testimony of most of my life is, is a wicked life. I need you to bury my influence with me. How many of us, if we were to die today, would have to say, Lord, bury my influence with me? Or would you say that my influence was such that I would say, no, my testimony can live on? How many Christians would have to have their testimony buried with them? Because it would be better to be six feet under than for people to still be talking about that person. What a tragedy that someone would ever have to say, Lord, bury my influence with me. I, a lot of people don't know this, but I like, I like baseball. And Babe Ruth gave this testimony about an old minister that he knew. Listen to what Babe Ruth said. He said, most of the people who have really counted in my life, Babe Ruth said, were not famous. Nobody ever heard of them except those who knew and loved them. He said, I knew an old minister once. His hair was white, his face shone. I have written my name on thousands and thousands of baseballs in my life. And this old minister wrote his name on just a few simple hearts. And listen to what, listen to what Babe Ruth said. It's very interesting, this famous baseball player. He said, oh, how I envy him. He was not trying to please his own immortal soul, so fame never came to him. I am listed as a famous home runner, yet beside that obscure minister who was so good and so wise, I have not gotten to first base. Here's a famous home run hitter talking about the influence. I don't know, I don't know much about Babe Ruth's personal life. All I know is somehow that man made a great influence on his life. And he says, compared to him, with all the home runs I've hit, compared to him, I haven't even got to first base. And, and that's the second thing that we do. We, we have these, these two things that are knit together. We are, we're going to be fishing or following. We're going to be influenced or we're going to be influencers. So we make our mark for Christ. 
Our lives must be incarnations of the gospel. Epistles of life and truth in love. The highest evidence of Christianity. The gospel's strongest recommendation to the world is you. All lives that are unmistakably Christ-like, that's what people need to see. A serious condemnation of Christian living was expressed by a Buddhist who was in search of truth and light. And he said this, I want to believe in Christ, but I have never seen Him in those who profess to know Him. And one man said this, the reason why the world does not know God is because it knows you all too well. We, we have a responsibility. I look, at a, I look at you students, and you have a responsibility to not only decide whether you're going to fish or whether you're going to follow, but to decide whether you're going to be influenced in your life by the things of the world or whether you're going to be so bold as Peter to say, oh, who are you? You're the Christ. A man that said it with conviction. Not simply randomly, aimlessly, in an empty way, repeating what he had heard from other people. He said it because he believed it to be true. That's a sad statement. The reason why the world does not know God is because it knows you all too well. Is that, would that be true of you? That's not the mark of somebody that's influencing people for Christ. I want to challenge you as you launch out from here to, those are two important questions that you need to ask. Am I going to fish or am I going to follow? Am I going to influence, be influenced, or am I going to be an influencer for Christ? And through all of those decisions that we need to make and those things that we need to wrestle with, we need to come on our face before God and say, God, I need you, like never before, to help me. And I want you to know as a student body that, that as a staff we commit to praying for you as students, and we want God's best for your life. We really do. We, we want it to, I don't, think, I don't think any of us wouldn't want to look at where you are five years down the road and just, just be excited to see that God's using you in, in a great way. That's, that would bring excitement to us. And, and what a testimony that would be to the working of God and God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, Peter had two, two encounters with Jesus that we've looked at this morning. The first, he had to make the decision whether he was going to fish or follow. And, and Jesus wanted to make that decision. He wanted to, to pad or to stack the odds in favor of one over the other so that Peter would recognize that it's not a matter of playing games with God. It's a matter of simply saying, I will follow you. Regardless of whatever enterprise... I feel I want to be involved in or what plans I have, I will follow. That is my first mandate in life. And then, Lord, we have the choice of whether we're going to be influenced. And that that was the second question Jesus asked. Peter, who do people say that I am? That's the influence of the world. And yet this influencer, Peter, said, I know who you are. You're the Christ. What a bold, confident statement. He was willing to make. And Lord, make these students men and women of conviction 
men and women of God. And may they not follow what seems safe and secure, but may they be willing to do what Peter did and said, Lord, I'll forsake it all. I'll follow you. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit of God, the great teacher, will do his work in these students' lives. And we are so thankful for them. In Jesus' name, amen.